Open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. Lord, I thank you that no one is here by chance, all here by divine appointment. Lord, people going through different things in life right now. Lord, you know exactly what's going on in their lives, and I pray you'd minister to every heart. Comfort those that need to be comforted. Encourage those that need to be encouraged. Uh, Correct those that need to be corrected. Lord, rebuke those of us who may need to be rebuked. Lord, we just want to be in the center of your will. We know that those who you love, you discipline, but you also calm and comfort us as well. So be our teacher this morning. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, so far as we've been going through the gospel of James, or not the gospel of James, the letter of James, and, and James, as we know, was the brother of Jesus, half-brother, right, same mom, different dad, who did not give his life to the Lord until after Jesus rose from the dead. And this letter is being written by James, who was referred to in writings as James the Just, and he was kind of the overseer of the church in Jerusalem. And he writes this letter, not to a specific church, but to all the churches. And what had happened, this is one of the first books actually written in the New Testament. So it's one of the closest in time to Jesus uh, ascending into heaven. There was great persecution that was taking place as the Christians were at that time being, you know, uh, fed the lions, persecuted, under attack. And the good news is, as they were being persecuted, the church spread. But also as the church spread, there were many that were falling into temptation, and there was a, an attraction to, to go back or to question God. And so far in the first couple of chapters, we learned first about trials. He said, to count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. We talk about this repeatedly, but it bears witnessing. A, a repeating trials come from the Lord. He allows them in our life that we may grow spiritually. God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. So when we come to God and we surrender our life to him, he can do with our life as he chooses. And as he wants to develop us and grow us, you know, the only ways muscle grow if you tear them down, and the only way we grow spiritually, the main way we grow spiritually, is that we walk through difficulty. We have to put all our faith and all our hope and all our trust in the Lord because we cannot fix it on our own. And being humble, broken, and desperate is a wonderful place to be. It's the place that we grow the most. And so we use that word that it produces patience. And again, that word is hupomone in the original language. And it's the ability to stand strong in the midst of a great weight. And as we stand under it, we're growing through it. But after he talked about trials, he talked about temptation. Now, while trials come from the Lord, temptation comes from the enemy. And, the tem- and what he seeks to do is draw you away from the Lord. If he cannot take you to hell with him, he wants to render you ineffective for heaven while you're here. He wants you to, if you're going to have a saved soul, he wants you to have a saved soul and a wasted life. He doesn't want your life bearing fruit. He wants you to live a life where you question God and you doubt God and you murmur against God even while you're saved. And so what does he do? He tempts you. And he's always going to tempt you with the thing that can draw you away. He will never tempt you with that, which is not a temptation. You've heard me say it, he can't tempt me with lima beans. I don't like them. He can pile them up, leave them in, on every plate. I'll never touch them. He's going to tempt me with tri-tip, amen? But the reality is, 
that the enemy will tempt you with the very thing that will draw you away, the thing that you'll go after, knowing that it will separate you and it will bring great harm and it'll hurt your walk with God. And here's the promise that we have with temptation. The Bible says that with temptation, God makes a way of escape. And temptation isn't just an opportunity to fall, it's an opportunity to grow. So when we're tempted, it's something I would share with my kids, I share with all of you, I share with myself, is that when I'm tempted, when you are tempted, it's not just an opportunity to fall, it's an opportunity to grow. When we resist the devil, he, he flees from us, he runs away from us. He goes after somebody else who, who might uh, fall for his, you know, his tricks. But again, when we resist it, we grow. And it's that same word again, hupomone. See, the trials that we go through give us strength to stand when the temptation comes. So James, this is very practical. It's my son Mark's favorite book in the Bible. He loved Proverbs and James. And the reason that he did is James is like Proverbs in the New Testament. It's very practical. It gives us things that we can uh, you know, apply to our daily lives. So not only do we endure temptation, not only do we walk through trials and keep our eyes on the Lord, but then we get to chapter two and it says we practice the truth. Guys, it's not just enough to just believe in God. The demons believe and tremble, but true belief is reflected in our behavior. Now, it doesn't mean we're perfect because if we had to be perfect to go to heaven, no one's going. Amen? We're all sinners in desperate need of a savior, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the difference. When you're born again, it's how you view your sin that changes. Because when you sin, you hate it. When you sin, you're heartbroken. And even when you may take a big jump back into that sinful lifestyle for a moment. And while you may have pleasure for a moment, ultimately the conviction comes and you cry back out to the Lord and you repent and you turn back to him. And see, if you can be walking and wallowing in sin and there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. But when you are dealing with that struggle, and we all have different struggles, and by the way, we need to be careful not to judge someone else's struggle as being worse than ours because we're all sinners and we need to get over ourselves. Can I get an amen to that? Now, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the Lord loves you. If your sin may be more pr pronounced, if your sin may have bigger consequences than mine, it doesn't make me better than you. It just means that your sin has greater consequences. Amen? And we need to be careful. But a mature Christian is patient in times of trials and trouble and temptation, and he practices the truth. He's a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. And again, in this morning's chapter, we're going to continue looking at some marks of spiritual maturity. James said in chapter one, one of the ways that we can deal with the trials of life, and one of the ways that we can practice the truth, says in James 1.26, be swift to hear, slow to speak slow to wrath. We need to be swift to hear what the Word of God says. We need to be swift to receive wisdom and, and godly counsel. At the same time, we need to be slow to speak. The Bible says, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. We're going to talk about that some more. And then we need to be slow to wrath. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We don't need to be angry. And there's righteous anger, but even righteous anger responds different than, than fleshly anger. Amen? It drives us to our knees in prayer. It wants us to cry out to help. The power of speech, as we'll talk about this morning, is one of the greatest powers God has given us. With the tongue, we can praise God, we can preach the word, and we can lead the lost to Christ. What a privilege. 
Isn't it amazing that we can praise God on the campus of Hillcrest Christian School in Thousand Oaks and God hears us? And we join the heavenly choir and you know that he is here in our midst, amen? So when we worship him, he hears us. When we share our faith, the Lord is there with us. The Holy Spirit is there with us. Have you ever been sharing your faith with somebody and words are coming out and you have no idea where they're coming from because it's not you and it's the Lord, amen? So the Lord is with us when we praise him. The Lord is with us when we preach the word, when we lead the lost to Christ. But with that same tongue, we can curse God. We can tell lies. We can gossip. So grab your outline this morning. And I want to say this. The Bible also tells us that out of the overflowing of man's heart, his mouth speaks. So you're, what, what comes out of our mouths is not something that, uh, you know, slips out. Oh, that word slipped out. No, it didn't. It poured out from the depths of your heart. And I've told people that and they get mad at me. And I just still go, well, that just slipped out. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. You know what slips out? What slips out is what's on your heart, amen? It comes from your heart. You can tell just by how people respond to different circumstances what's really in their heart. So chapter three, and before I get to the outline, just in a moment, I want to say something. This is interesting. So as a, as a pastor, a Carachal pastor for about 33 years, I'm, like, I'm on a server, and there's a couple thousand pastors on it. And about, you know, every once in a while, they'll send us things to watch or to read and uh, to encourage us in ministry. And sometime back, I got one on sermon prep, and I, I teach sermon prep, but I still love to listen. It's a man by the name of Dr. Van Cleve, who has since gone to be with the Lord, and it was one of the best messages I ever heard, and it really ministered to me. But something he said, he said, I go and sometimes I'll speak every night for a week at a church. They'll invite me to come to do like an outreach, and I'll speak every night. And he said on the first night, at the end of it, I told everybody, tomorrow, tomorrow night, we're going to reveal the biggest troublemaker in the church. And everybody went, whoa. And the word got out, and the church was packed on Tuesday. And when they got there, he said, the biggest troublemaker in the church is the tongue. And then he taught James chapter 3, which we're about to look at right now. James chapter 3, if you have your outline, grab it. The power of the tongue. First of all, it has the power to direct. It's a small instrument in the hands of our master, and it directs others to Christ. It reflects our heart, but it also tells us to let not many of you be teachers. Now, certainly this is talking about pastors, but it's talking about anybody who teaches the Bible to anybody, really. I mean, if you're teaching in the children's ministry, you're teaching in the women's ministry, the men's ministry, you know, wherever you may teach the word of God, you're going to be accountable for what you teach. And he's going to talk about that, the power to direct, to teach God's word, not man's opinion, to practice what you preach. One of the biggest, one of the biggest tragedies is that you can preach something on Sunday and live something else Monday through Saturday. Guys, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? Yes. We're not living different. We don't practice what we preach. There's a word for that. It's called a hypocrite. It's a mask wearer. Someone who pretends to be something that they're not. The word hypocrite comes from plays being from back centuries ago, and they didn't have sound systems. And what they would do is that the, the actors would hold up big masks that represent sadness or happiness or laughter, and they would hold them up in front of their face. They were mask wearers. And they called them the hypocrites. 
And so what we do is we put on a mask. We pretend to be something that we're not. And again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So we're going to see the power of the tongue has the power to direct. And by the way, we will answer to Almighty God. We're going to see that let not many of you be teachers. So when you teach the Word of God to other people, you will be accountable for every word that ever came out of your mouth while doing that. And that ought to bring the fear of God into all of our hearts. Amen? I'll be transparent. I've shared this with you before. If you ever look at me during the last worship song, I'm right over here and I'm crying out to God, Lord, please show up. Lord, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. None of my words, all of yours. If I studied something that's wrong, leave it out of the message. Lord, if there's something not there, you be the teacher. Lord, if you don't show up right now, it's going to be the biggest waste of time. Help, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord. There's my prayer every Sunday right before I teach and every Thursday. Why? Because if man is teaching, it's a waste of time. And we're going to be accountable for our words when we're not teaching his word. Amen? Amen. Secondly, the power to destroy. So that's the power to direct people to the Lord. And that's the power to point people to the truth of God's word, but also has the power to destroy. Controlled by the Holy Spirit has the power to direct. Controlled by the flesh, it is very destructive. As Christians, our words can praise God, again, and direct others' people to the Lord, or wreak havoc and destruction. It's going to give some examples of really small things. You know, a, a rudder can steer a whole ship, right? A small bit in a horse's mouth. i got a lot of horse people in the room. I know that. A small bit can direct a mighty horse, can turn it right or left, slow it down, make it stop, make it speed up. And it's a small instrument that leads something much greater and does, you know, perform something much greater. And the same is true. <laughs> can I get an amen? This right here can reveal what's in our heart and it can direct things in very destructive ways. Our tongue defiles our whole body. It can produce scandal and slander and blasphemy and profanity and lying and arguments and gossip and, and seduction and pride. And, and I have people tell me, and they'll, they'll, they'll find out my pastor and they'll say, well, I've been swearing my whole life and you know, God understands that's just who I am. No, that's who your dead man is, but that's not who you are in Christ. And I'm not saying you can't be a Christian and struggle with that because again, we all have struggles. But as Christians, quit making excuses for that. Well, I'm on the job site and everybody swears. Well, most of these people are going to hell too, so amen. So we're called to be salt and light. We're not called to be like the world. Amen? Should be different. It also has the power to delight, to bless God, to curse men, producing fresh or bitter water, to mark a spiritual maturity and consistency in our speech. Again, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. If someone takes God's name in vain, I'm done with anything else they got to say. I'm out. If you can curse my God, if you can curse his name, we bring in speakers for the company sometimes I work for, and they'll be up there being foul-mouthed. I've got them walked out of meetings. I'm done. Got nothing to do with this. I, I don't want to hear it. Anybody who can curse the creator of the universe, almighty God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who loved us so much he sent his son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. If you're doing that, you've got no authority in my life and I really don't have to want to hear anything you have to say. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus and I'd love to witness to you, but I'm not going to sit and listen to you tell me how to live my life when you curse my savior. 
Amen? Don't take that lightly. Don't curse my dad. Amen? He's our heavenly father. And again, if it's the world and you're witnessing to somebody, if you're out to lunch with somebody who doesn't know the Lord, I can let that go by. Why? Because sinners, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. So what do we need to do? We need to tell them about Jesus. Amen? Amen. And don't fall into the same trap. And then finally, we're going to look at the difference between heavenly and demonic wisdom. The Bible says, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask of God. What does worldly wisdom promote? You. It's all about you. You're amazing. You're the, it's about you. You're the, you, know, you need to be more proud of yourself and think of yourself. And you need to promote yourself. And you need to be the best self you can be. The Bible says to die to self. To deny, deny self and take up the cross and follow him. Oh, the, God is within you. No, he's not unless you're born again and the Holy Spirit's within you. You're not God. The two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. Can I get an amen to that? And there's worldly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. We're to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We walk in the counsel of the true and the living God. Guys, we have a vapor of time to be about it for his kingdom and for his glory. Let's focus on him, amen? Let's spend our time with him. Since my son went to heaven, I have listened to nothing but worship music, and I think that's probably going to be the case for the rest of my life. He used to listen to sports, so I could care less. He used to listen to other things once in a while, news. It's not news, it's bad news, and I'm done with the bad news, amen? I'm going to read the gospel, the good news. Can I get an amen? amen. And let's do that. All right, let's begin there looking at the power of the tongue, the power to direct. Look what it says there in verse 1 of James 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Too late, Craig. <laughs> Too late, bro. You stepped in. Now you're in, bro. You're in. <laughs> Love you. Let not many of you be teachers. The word for teacher there in some version, it even says masters. It speaks of one who functions in an official teaching or preaching capacity. James has a so sober admonition for those who become teachers in the church. They must take responsibility, the responsibility they have seriously because their accountability is greater. They shall receive stricter judgment. Apparently, there were many in the church who wanted to teach or be in spiritual leadership. They may have been impressed with the authority or prestige of the office, and they forgot about the tremendous responsibility and accountability. Jesus warned, to, much, to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Those who teach the word will face the stricter judgment to teach God's truth, not man's opinion. While I love you guys very much, and even if I, if I just met you today or I haven't met you yet, the fact that you're sitting in these seats, I love you and the Lord loves you, but I love Jesus more than I love you. And because I love Jesus more than I love you, I'm going to be obedient and accountable to do his will, not what you want to hear. Amen? So, you know, he, the pastor offended me today. Get used to it. Because the word of God will offend us 
ended up, by the way, I get offended for 30 hours. You get offended for one, so get over it. Amen? I'm studying all week. The Lord convicts me, convicts me, convicts me, convicts me. But here's the whole point is, you don't want, you don't want anybody teaching you that has any other motive than that God will be glorified and that you will be drawn closer to him. Let me say that again. Any other motivation than God being glorified and you being drawn closer to him, run from the building like it's on fire. Amen? If he's trying to draw a crowd or she's trying to draw a crowd for herself, if you're trying to build a, you know, whatever it is you may be trying to build, my hope when you leave here is, is that you're closer to Jesus. That you walk out of here more in love with the Lord because to know him better is to love him more. Amen? So it says, if you're going to be a teacher, you are accountable to basically get the ball to Jesus. Amen? He used to say, I'm not a, I was never a good basketball player, but when I would play, I knew the best player, and when I'd get the ball, a rebound, just get the ball to that guy. If Michael Jordan's on my team, get the ball to Michael Jordan. Well, guess what? All I want to do is get the ball to, let's get people to Jesus. Amen? Let's bring them to the Lord. Let's introduce them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what we want to do. And those who teach the word will face stricter judgment to teach the truth and not man's opinion, but also to practice what they preach. Again, it's the whole counsel of God. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. You know what I love that all of our assistants are doing, all the people that teach on a regular basis, and Craig's doing the same? They've all picked a book in the Bible, and when they fill in for me, they just keep going through that book. And I love that. I didn't tell them to do that. They're doing it. So guys, we're just going through the Bible. Amen? We're like less than a year away of being done with the New Testament. And when we finish Revelation, what do you think we're teaching next? Matthew chapter 1. Amen? Because it's the whole counsel of God, and we need to teach the whole counsel of God. And my opinions are irrelevant. We don't need to spend five minutes chasing after what's going on in the world, because you know what? The Word of God will do that in a better way. Think of the damage that can be done by a teacher who's unprepared. Amen? Unprepared. Heaven forbid. Standing before God's people, unprepared. I had a friend who said, he quit going to a church. He said, if he won't bother studying, I'm not going to bother listening. Amen? And we need to study. That means if you're going to teach the third through fifth grade on a Sunday and it's going to be six kids, you be prepared. Amen? If you're going to teach uh, 10 men in the men's study or 20 women in the women's study or you're going to have a Bible study with two other people at work, you prepare like you're going to teach in front of 5,000 people. Amen? And if you can't take the time to be prepared, then don't teach. Amen? Well, the verse is not meant to discourage true teachers, but to warn prospective teachers of the role seriousness. And on a personal note, this verse weighs heavy on me every time I open the word because I do it with fear and trembling because I'm going to answer to God. Again, it's a good thing to come humbly before the Lord. Uh, my dad told me a story years ago about a, about a young man who was up in the front row and he just graduated from seminary and they were inviting him to speak at his church when he was home on vacation and he was so full with pride, I'm gonna go up there and teach them like they'd never been taught. And he got up and he just you know, had an attitude. Now, our pastor's old, he didn't know the new ways of teaching the Bible. I'm gonna show him what's what. And he got up to the pulpit, looked out at everybody and froze. 
He had to bring a bucket out. He turned around and threw up and went back and sat down. <laughs> pastor said to my, pastor leaned over to someone next to him and he said, you know, another you know, man of wisdom, he said, if he had gone up like he went down, he'd have went down like he went up. Can I get an amen? <laughs> if he'd come up in humility with some fear and trembling, he would have come down again knowing that God had moved. Teaching God's word is, by the way, it's not a career, it's a calling. Amen? Let me see, what should I do for a living? Uh, police officer, maybe that's a good calling. Oh, uh, electron, I could do a pastor. What, don't they work like one hour a week? Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> they work an hour a week, they got four people with buckets collecting money, that sounds pretty good. Did you think that's what ministry is? We, we need to have a chat. Often asked by men considering the ministry about calling, they'll say, uh, well, how do I know if I'm called? I've shared this with you before. I've got some new people. Here's how you know you're called. If you can do anything else, you're not. If you, if you can go... My, my degree's in criminal justice. I was going to be a police officer. God had a different job for me, different calling. I have a full-time sales job, but this is the calling of my life. And guys, when you're called to do it, it's a get to, not a have to. Amen? And, and it's something that just overwhelms you. The Apostle Paul said, woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. It's just burning up in my bones. I can't, even con I can't contain it. And that's how you know when somebody's called. And, it, and it's not just a calling to teach the Bible. When, when, they're, when they're called to serve in children's ministry, or they're called to come and set up the chairs, or they're called to serve you know, in the, the ministry that sends out all the videos so everybody can watch this. It's all done with excellence, Amen because we're doing it for the Lord. We're not doing it for recognition of men. Uh, again, calling must be, not be confused with natural ability. Sometimes people have a natural ability, but just because someone's a gifted orator doesn't make them a pastor or a Bible teacher. Amen? I'd rather have a humble guy who stutters and loves Jesus than somebody who's really eloquent and is prideful. Can I get an Amen. We need to take this to heart as we consider the opportunity and desire to teach God's word, be it again in the children's ministry, men's ministry, and a home fellowship. Guys, we're not teaching ge geometry. Amen? I took two weeks off. N nothing wrong with geometry, by the way. I took two weeks off after my son went to heaven, and then there was a thing where I was going to be training uh, a bunch of reps all over the country that they had postponed, and it was going to be my first day back at work, and they're like, well, you haven't even had time to prepare. I said, I can do that. You know why? Because I can talk about sales, and I can talk about advertising, because guys, it's not the word of God, amen? I would not have done that on a one minute, so they're like, well, we have it planned for nine o'clock today. It's 845. Can you do it? We got these guys in a Zoom meeting. Now, let's do it. Why? Talk about that. Nobody's eternity is hanging in the balance, Amen. We still want to honor the Lord at our work, at our job, and God blessed it, and God used it. Amen? But guys, when it comes to the Word of God, it's different. You don't wing it. Amen? We don't wing it. And I don't care, again, if you're teaching five-year-olds. Five Study to show yourself approved. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Again, and if you can be talked out of it, you're not called. One of my favorite people in the Bible, a sobering example, is a man by the name of Jeremiah. You read Jeremiah, he was mocked, he was threatened by everyone. He had years of faithfully preaching the word with great boldness. How many people got saved? Zero. 
It's called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah, weary, tired of being mocked, afraid of physical retribution, discouraged by the lack of fruit, said this. Deuteronomy 29, I read this often. It's a great reminder for those who teach the word of God or those who are considering it. Then he said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. He said, you know what? I'm being persecuted. Nobody's getting saved. I'm being mocked. People are going after me. It's torturous. I'm done talking about him. If talking about him is going to bring this and there's no fruit, then I'm out. So Jeremiah said at the beginning of verse nine, then he says this, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Amen, amen, and amen. And sometimes we go through trials, and the enemy tells you, look at all you've done for God. Why would you keep teaching his word? Because I can't do anything else because I can't but praise his name, because he's a faithful God in the midst of blessings, but also in the midst of adversity, and we will praise him no matter what. Amen? And heaven's better. And if we know the Lord, we're all going there. Amen? Just doesn't get any better. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. Those who are truly called are not to bury their talent in the ground, but must approach the teaching of God's word with sobriety and reverence. I'm tired of all the jokes that take place. Look, natural humor is one thing. It's, if you, you know, it happens here. There's never a joke in here, but sometimes you guys laugh. There's natural humor. But when people turn the pulpit into a place of skits and and parades, and jokes, and I, I just don't understand that. There needs to be more reverence for the Word of God. Amen? Again, natural humor, I get it. Not saying that there can't be laughing in a service, but it shouldn't be 55 minutes of jokes in a sideshow with five minutes of God's Word. Amen? All must be cautious of those who lack reverence or are unprepared. Blessing to teach, to lead, to minister to others will soon become a curse if you lead them in the wrong direction or with the wrong motivation. Heavy words of accountability, especially in light of the next verse. So he says there, you'll receive a stricter judgment. We're all gonna stand before God one day on how faithful we were with the gifts we were given, but those who teach with a stronger judgment. Verse two, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Now, none of us is perfect. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I already said it once, so I can offend you one more time. If you came here today thinking you're a good person, you're wrong. You're not a good person. Well, good person compared to what? Amen? Amen? We think we're good because we compare ourselves. You can always find someone worse. It's not that hard, amen? It's just really easy. Well, look at that guy. I'm better than that guy. And we can do that. I'm no Osama bin Laden. I'm no Adolf Hitler. Always find someone worse. God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross. Now let's compare ourselves to Jesus. How we doing? How we doing? We're all sinners. Amen? We're all sinners. It was years ago. There was this TV show on, and every time they told the truth, they had a lie detector. They would give them more money. I don't know the name of the show, but... And I happened to come across it, and the first thing they asked this woman, that she confessed that she was a liar. 
Then she confessed that she had stolen money from her company. And you know, now she's made $10,000. And then the $100,000 question, she confessed that she had committed adultery. And then she confessed that she wasn't even in love with her husband, but another man. And then her fifth question was, are you a good person? And she said, yes. <laughs> I'm a lying, thieving, adulterer, but I'm a good person. Guys, we need to get past the fact that there's none righteous, no, not one. We need to receive that, that here's the good news, but our God is perfect and he's holy and he's loving and he's gracious and he desires that none should perish, no, not one. And he knows you best and he loves you most. That's our savior. I got my son's car fixed for his brother and I went to pick it up yesterday and I was talking to the guy that fixed it for us. We started talking about the Lord and he said, yeah, I'm studying to be a Jehovah's witness. I said, you mean the people that deny the deity of Jesus Christ, those people? Well, they don't deny, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Oh, and, and, and they're trying to be the 144,000, but those are 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's not gonna work, bro. And by the way, I noticed you're married, so you can't be a virgin, so you can't be one of the 144,000. Oh, they didn't tell me that. I said, bro, by the way, I'm on at 3.30 every day. Here's my card right here. Call me anytime. Guys, here's the reality. We're going to have divine appointments, and there's other things that are being taught that are flat-out lies, and we need to love people enough to, in love and grace and mercy, point them to the one who will forgive them because we are all sinners, and we all need Jesus. By the way, it's not a sin. It's not an excuse to sin. Well, nobody's perfect. Now, I got this problem, but nobody's perfect, so it's Okay. Guys, we're not perfect, but the one who's perfect has commanded us to obey him. And to obey is better than sacrifice, amen? We all stumble in many things. Sins of the, sun, uh, the, sins of the tongue seem to top the list, and sin is not to be taken lightly. A man or woman's speech is a reflection of their heart. Again, it says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is perfect man. Now, word perfect doesn't mean perfect. It means mature, you look at the original language, it means mature or complete. So somebody who is spiritually, or is spiritually mature or complete has control over their tongue. And even that person doesn't mean they, they never tell a lie or they never exaggerate or they never get angry, but their character is identified as somebody who you don't hear that. And when you do, you'd be shocked if you did. Does that make sense? So somebody who's spiritually mature has control over that thing right here, amen? Has control over this in the way that he speaks. Well, I'm just mad, so I'm cursing like a sailor. Well, okay, but that's a reflection of where your heart is. And it doesn't mean you're not saved, but it does mean you need to repent, amen? And you need to get closer to God because when you are more spiritually mature, how the overflowing of your heart, your mouth will speak, and it won't be curses, and you won't speak like the world. And when you do, you'll be convicted, and you'll be asking God to forgive you. Again, what you hear in someone's speech is a reflection of what their act, of their what's going on in their actions and their heart. And again, I say it often: how the overflowing of a man's heart is mouth speak. Your words reveal your heart, especially true of teachers who have so much more of an opportunity to sin. Here's another word. Here's another scary thing. If you want to teach the Bible, it says, "In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking." 
more you talk, more chances to sin. I got a lot of chances to sin. Ask my wife, I talk a lot. You figured that out already. My wife's like, we meet people in the grocery store. You have a longer conversation with them than my best friend when they call on the phone. You know what I mean? I'm like, I just meet people. She goes, and I talk to everyone. They walk, hey, what's up, bro? Like that, sure, how's it going, man? You know, hey, just how God made me, amen? But I just need to, you know, make sure that I'm slow to speak, right? And then when we do speak, it's led by the Lord. It's a small instrument that reveals your heart. It directs the whole body. The more you talk, the more opportunity to sin. So when you're a teacher, especially on a regular basis, you need to be very concerned about what comes out of your mouth. It says in verse 3 and 4, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. We turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Oh, they are so large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. In selecting the bit and the rudder, James is presenting two items that are very small, yet exercise great power. Again, a strong horse can be controlled by a bit. A large ship can be turned by a small rudder. A small, these are small things controlling something that is far greater. But handled improperly, it'll bring harm to the horse and the rider, or the ship will be out of control. You don't solve the problem of an unruly horse by keeping it in a barn or the problem of a hard-to-steer ship by keeping it tied to the dock. In the same way, even a vow of silence is not the ultimate answer for the misuse of the tongue. Well, if, if the multitude of words, I'll just sit here and say nothing. I'll go sit up on a mountain somewhere and meditate and hum for the rest of my life. You got to remember that the Great Commission is to go therefore into all the world. Preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we're supposed to be using this instrument, but we're supposed to be using it for God's glory instead of drawing people away from the Lord. Again, the bit, horses have a wild nature, and it calms, it overcomes a strong and contrary force. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It takes control of something that is a strong and contrary force, the flesh. It, it, it rules over it, takes control over it, amen? And then it changes. Again, the rudder, winds and currents that would drive the ship off course, and the tongue, our old sinful nature. The bit and rudder would, must be under control of a strong hand, a rider or a pilot. And for our tongues to be useful, they must be led by the Lord under the direction of the Holy Spirit. The only way you can have victory over your tongue is if you are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because the flesh wants to get even. The flesh wants to yell back. Isn't it amazing how you have that battle between the spirit and the flesh? You can be singing worship songs on the freeway, top of your lungs. God cuts you off and you're yelling at him. In a minute, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Idiot, what are you doing? Am I the only one that's ever done that? The tongue, so quick, so quick. 
So the power to direct, a small instrument in the hands of the master, directing others to Christ, reflecting our hearts, but also has the power to destroy. Look at verse 5. Power to destroy. It says, even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a little, great a forest, a little fire kindles. You can take a lighter and burn down a forest. You can take this small instrument and bring great destruction all around you. Amen? This is a tool to praise God, but it also can be an instrument to destroy people, to slander, to be profane, to, to lash out, to curse God's name, to lie. Who's the father of lies? Who's the truth? So when you lie, you're being Satan-like, and when you tell the truth, you're being Christ-like. Remember that in your taxes as they're coming due. Amen? <laughs> as Christians, our words can praise God and direct others to Christ or wreak havoc and destruction. A huge forest fire can begin with just a small spark. I read this years ago. In the 1870s, the great Chicago fire of October 8, 1871 started in O'Leary's barn and it spread to leave 100,000 people homeless, 17,500 buildings destroyed, 300 people dead, and over $400 million of damage in 1870 money, which is probably, you know, I don't know how many billions today. So that little fire that started in a barn wreaked havoc on all of Chicago. And so too can the tongue of gossip or pride or vindictiveness wield great destruction, a spark out of our hand, into the woods, out of control. Words, once out of, uh, out of our mouth, are out of control. Notice it says there, talks about these examples, and even so, and it said, in the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is a world of iniquity. Scandal, slander, blasphemy, profanity, lying, arguments, uh, seduction, pride, this little instrument can produce all those ungodly things. And it says there, the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. The tongue is so important in its position in relationship to the rest of the body. No part of the body is unaffected by it. A man or woman of pure speech is understood to be pure in every respect. If you, if you meet someone and they speak in a pure and a kind and a loving and a gracious way, and even if you just spend 10 minutes with them, don't you walk away saying, there is a kind and a loving and a respect, respectful person? Just what they said in five minutes reflects to you their entire heart, reflects to you their entire, uh, who they are in their spirit, who they are. If you meet somebody, you see somebody online and it's a three minute tirade of yelling and screaming, don't you think when you walk away, there's a vile person, there's a hateful person, there's an unloving person, amen? Now, why is that important? Because when you're speaking in front of, around your coworkers, around your unsafe family, or you're speaking around your neighbors, or you have an opportunity to get up in front of a group of people and speak, remember that the way you speak to people will either give you an opportunity to lovingly and graciously point people to the Lord or have them walk away thinking you're a vile person and they want nothing to do with anything you believe. Amen? 
Next time, well, I just blew my head. I just blew it. It's no big deal. Well, now you've just disqualified yourself in the front of a lot of people. Now you can come with a heart of repentance and God can restore that. But if we ask your coworkers what kind of person you are, what would they say? If we ask your neighbors, if we asked your unsafe family, who has confidence in the virtue of the blasphemer or the man of obscene or or slanderous lips. We always regard such a man or a person as corrupt. I have coworkers that they, they think the F-bomb is an adjective for everything. You're in a conversation with them and it's, you know, there's 18 of them. You're just like, bro, really? And all I think is you're ignorant and lost, man. Amen? Boy, do you need the Lord. It's just, Right? And so, guys, we don't want to portray ourselves that way. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for, for necess- and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Imparting grace or division, destruction, and profanity, which is it? What are you delivering? I used to say this a lot. We've gotten away from it. When my kids were young, we used to always say prayer praise. Prayer praise. When I was a youth pastor, prayer praise. Here's what that means. You can't say something nice, pray. If you can't do either one, take it to shutty town. Amen? <laughs> right? Just, just be quiet. Prayer praise. So someone starts to say something, prayer praise. Prayer praise. And there's nothing better when you're the youth pastor, you start to say something when the youth group kids or one of your children goes, Dad, prayer praise. <laughs> but prayer praise. We can't edify. We can't honor the Lord. If we can't have a discussion that's going to bring glory to his name, then let's be quiet and pray for them and pray for us that we don't continue that attitude. Amen? Prayer praise. Our speech can encourage and bless others or it can be a div- divisive tool of destruction. We need to pray every day. Lord, guard my mouth today. Lord, before I get out of bed, I praise you. I worship you. Yes, Lord, I'm here. Help me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guard my mouth today. Amen? Biggest troublemaker in the church. When it comes to gossip, we can be wood and coal and spread the fire, or we can be water to put it out. You start to hear gossip. You start to hear somebody talking bad about somebody else or telling you something you really don't need to hear. You can listen, and by listening, you're partaking of it, or you can shut them down hard right there. Amen? Well, I went to this other church, and the pastor there, and he was at, I really don't need to hear that. Amen? Because you'll be here a few weeks and telling someone else that about me, so it's okay. (laughs) Amen? So we need to be kind. Verse 7 and 8. No, verse verse 6. It says, the tongue is a fire, and it's the whole body, and it sets the fire the course of nature, and it's set on fire by what? Hell. Is your mouth set on fire by hell? I'm offended. It's set on fire by hell. Satan wants you to be venomous. He wants you to be bitter. He wants you to be... The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. All those things, those are fruits of the Spirit. And the opposites are fruits of the devil. Amen? The fruits of the flesh. Anger, bitterness, self-righteousness, arrogance, attitude, right? Go down that list. And so when you're... I'm just... Blown off steam. No, you're set on fire by hell, bro. 
Yeah, amen. You're not just letting off steam. You got some hell coming out of your mouth. Can I get an amen? Biggest troublemaker in the church. Verse 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed. And has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. For it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We can tame tigers and lions. By the way, when they have a tame tiger, I still, I'm not, I'll stay right over here and keep him on a chain. Can I get him in a, just not quite sure. I'm glad you feel like he's tame, but just don't bring him over near me. They brought a, I think it was a lion into Baymont Christian School. My kids were there and it was a tame lion. And when it was being let out, it jumped and put its, and gripped the top of a, like a six-year-old's head and drug it out of its seat. And the principal jumped on top of the lion and so did everybody else and got the kid, and the kid had like 170-something stitches. He survived. Yeah, I'm not so sure you're tame. <laughs> but we can tame lions, but we can't tame the tongue. What does that tell you? We should have the same level of fear of letting our tongue loose as letting a lion out of its cage, amen? We need to have that same heart and that same slow to speak. Working in a sales environment, do you think salespeople are kind of prideful maybe? What do you think? I work with rooms full of them, and I are one, amen? And they'll just you know, and they'll see how you're doing and they'll be bragging and I'm coming after you and I'm going to sell more than you. And your flesh can just, you know, want to say something. But as we mature in the Lord, guess what? God's always a better defender of us than we'll ever defend ourselves. And we don't need to defend ourselves. It's all good. God's changed my heart over the years where I had to listen to this training the other day. I, I, you know, I hope he's not watching. It was painful. <laughs> And it was just so, you know, it'd be, like if you're, it'd be like if you're a calculus teacher and the guy was trying to teach you one plus one and not doing a very good job of it. But I'm sitting through this thing, you know, and I'm getting a little like, really? And then we get to the end and they want everybody to say something. Lord, help. Shut it So... Hey, Dave, you're the guy who's been here longer than anybody. We haven't heard from you. What do you think? And I said, I think you did a good job preparing that, bro, and you gave the best you can. I'm proud of you. Can we just do that? Because that was true. I know he tried hard. I know he did the best he could, and it's okay. Amen? You know, there might have been a time like, well, that was a waste of time. Thanks for that. hung on fire, set on fire by Gehenna. That's the word there. Set on fire by the flames. It's easier to tame a wild animal than our mouths. Psalm 140 says, they have sharpened their tongues like serpents. Poison is under their lips. That's David when he's talking about the people that are coming after him. And they're falsely accusing him. And that's how they're speaking. We need to move on. So we've seen the power to direct, the power to destroy. Now the, the power to delight. Look at verse 9. Again, it says in verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. When, when with it, we can bless our God and Father, and with it, we can curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. 
Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, uh, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So the power here to delight with the mouth, we can bless God or curse those made in his image. We can curse the guy in traffic and talk bad about our boss and our coworker or tear down your spouse for, for doing something wrong or not keeping the house clean enough or for spending too much money or whatever it might be. And we can sit there and you know the worship the Lord at one moment and turn around, fresh water coming out, and then out comes bitter water. It says in Proverbs, the mouth of the righteous man is a well of life. It's not spewing bitterness. It's spewing joy. It's spewing words of encouragement. It says in Proverbs 18, the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. Water is life-giving. Out of control, it brings destruction. Isn't water one of the most powerful things? Ask the surfers. I've been up to Half Moon Bay, seen those big waves. Mavericks, yeah, not so much. I'd rather be chased by the untamed lion, amen? <laughs> Seriously. Throw you out on a 70-foot wave. You're going to beat the daylights out of you, and you're going to drown, amen? But you know, the reality is that our, our words can either bring something that refreshes or bring something that when it's tasted is bitter. It tastes bitter water. Oh, Lord, help us. The three illustrations here, a genuine mature believer will not contradict his profession of faith by the regular use of unwholesome words or cursing of others. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. A mark of spiritual maturity is consistency in speech, not fresh one day and bitter the next, not cursing and blessing, not one vocabulary and thrown, uh, tone at church and another one at home and at work. Let's say that one more time. The way we speak to each other at church is the way we ought to speak to each other at home. Amen. The way we speak to each other at church is the way we ought to speak to our coworkers. The police officer pulls you over for driving too fast. Amen. That same refreshing water should be pouring out of the believer. We should be consistent. It should be fruitful. That you should be, we should be the same person wherever we go. The spring is a source supply of gushing water. What's flowing out of you? I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Where have you heard that? Sunday school? Amen? Amen? It says in John 7, He who believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall, shall flow rivers of living Water. Living water is a picture of whom? Holy Spirit. Amen? Flowing out of us, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. Bitter water comes from a bitter and a corrupt heart, sweet water from a living, spiritually mature and transformed heart. What comes out of your heart? What comes out of your mouth? Bitter or sweet water. Final point. Now it's got all turned upside down here. Final point heavenly or demonic wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness 
of wisdom. First of all, when someone is truly wise, they will not be arrogant. They will be humble. Amen? The word meek there, it gets a bad rap. I love the word meek. It literally means strength under control of its master. I think of the Clydesdale horses they used to have in the Budweiser commercials. Those are some big horses, amen? But they're controlled by their master. You could say they're meek, but are they not strong? See, guys, we can have strength, but when we're submitted to the master, we can walk in meekness, not in arrogance, not in self-righteousness, not with an attitude that we're better than other people. We're all just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. The word meek, gentle, is the opposite of arrogant and self-promoting. I am so tired of, it's nauseating when people, don't you hate pride in other people? <laughs> Amen? You know, the guy that, anything he does, he makes a tackle eight years downfield. Get back in the huddle and shut up. You know what I mean? There's that mentality. Look at me. Look who I am. And there's this attitude that people have in the world today. As believers, it must not be so. Instead of doing this, we should be doing this. It's all him. He gets all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. Amen? Without him, we could do nothing. We could do all things through Christ who strengthens us. May they forget our name and remember his. Amen? Finish up. Now watch, talking about demonic wisdom. But if, if, every, but if you have bitter envy, so the, there's humility in godly wisdom, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart and do, and do not boast and lie against the truth, this wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and what? So bitter, bitterness coming out of your mouth is set on fire by hell. Blowing off steam, now you're just bringing up hell. And when we speak with arrogance and self-righteousness, and we speak that way, it's demonic. Is that what the Bible says right there? It's what the Bible says. No, it's just being, I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm a, you know, I promote myself. No, deny yourself. Self-seeking sometimes cancel is uh, referred to as strife. Again, no, no decision should ever be made out of envy or strife. It refers to selfish ambition, someone seeking to achieve his agenda at any cost, even on the trampling of others. Sounds like the sales office. Not arrogance or self-centeredness. Look at verse 15. This wisdom, again, does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. So if you're confused, don't do anything. If you don't know what to do, go back what you know is right. And keep doing that until God tells you different. Amen? When you're confused, when it doesn't make sense, when there's a debate and you don't have an answer, that's not the Holy Spirit because he is not the author of confusion. Amen? Now what, look, so the confusion is disorder. It results from chaos, instability of human wisdom. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Finally, look at, look at the purity that comes from heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. The word pure there means, refers to spiritual integrity and moral sincerity. You know when someone's given you godly counsel, it's pure, right? 
It's got spiritual integrity, moral uh, sincerity. It's not only pure, but it's peaceable. It promotes peace with others. We are not called to be troublemakers. We are called to be peacemakers. Amen? Remember that the next time you get into a debate on Facebook. Amen? We are called to be peacemakers. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And I don't care if I win or lose an argument. We want to win people to Jesus because that's all that matters. Amen? Not only that, it's gentle, sweet reasonableness. Such a person will submit to all kinds of mistreatment and difficulty with an attitude of kindness and being courteous and patiently humble without any thought of hatred or revenge. Notice it says it's also willing to yield. It's teachable. It's compliant. It's willing to submit to God's standard. It's so hard not to defend ourselves. But God, again, God will do a better job of it. It says, without partiality. Again, remember he talked about this last chapter. You know, we don't esteem the rich person up front and put the lowly person in the other seat. You know, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. It says it's full of mercy. How many of you guys need mercy? I don't want what I deserve. How about you? What do we deserve? Hellfire. Five people in the room, I came to visit this church and they said, that we deserve hell. They said we deserve hell. Why are we here? Amen. <laughs> because we don't want hell. Amen. Because we can receive God's grace and because of God's mercy. And then it says, finally, last verse, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Good works that result from salvation. Righteousness flourishes in the climate of spiritual peace. It bears fruit. And I love the New Living Translation. I don't read it a lot, but I love the translation of verse 18. It says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. I like that. So the contrast, verses 14 to 16, talking about demonic wisdom. It's bitter. It's envious. It's self-seeking. It's boasting. It's sensual. It's demonic. And then godly wisdom is peaceable. It's pure. It's willing to yield. It's full of mercy, and it bears fruit. May we be those type of people. Amen? By the way, we can't do it without being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the power to direct, the power of the tongue, it's a small instrument. We'll all be accountable uh, not many of you be teachers, but it has a power to direct people to the Lord, it has a power to, to preach the gospel and open eyes to the truth. But it also has the power to destroy. It can tear someone down. Insults can bring someone who's depressed to the point of not even wanting to live anymore. Our words have great power. It has the power to delight, to bless God or to curse men, produce fresh or bitter water. A mark of spiritual maturity is consistency in our speech. Uh, the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. And finally, heavenly or demonic wisdom. By the way, if we lack wisdom, let's not ask of the world, let's ask of the Lord. Amen? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We confess that we all have trouble with the biggest troublemaker in the church. We know it's in our mouths and we can use it the wrong way. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we open our mouths and may praise and worship and bringing glory and honor to your name come out of our mouths. Not words that defile you, not words that attack people or tear people down. Lord, we love you and we want to 
be tools in your hands. We want to be a reflection of you. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here today. Lord, we all, we know this is a chapter that deals with all of us. There's nobody here that's perfected their, their tongue. We know that. Lord, we also know that as we walk with you, we can have, we can open our mouth and speak as your Holy Spirit would have us to speak. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,